One of the things we talk about in youth, and I, got, I, can't, I can't be the youth minister and not give a shout-out to our youth. Uh, there's your shout-out. Um, But one thing that when we start this next semester, we're focusing on a few things. One is intentionality, and one is authenticity. Authenticity is a big one because that's being who you are inside of these walls as well as outside of these walls. That's really hard to do. But I'm going to tell you I'm going to be genuine with you right now and that when I was talking with PJ about this, he asked me how, how I do this. And I said, well, usually I have like an outline or some notes down. And it didn't work that way this time. I, I typed everything out. It just started coming, and so I typed it out, and I have it right in front of me. So that's where I'm coming at you with right now, that the sermon, the message that you're going to hear today is right here in front of me for anything that's on this paper. So if you have a problem, it's him. But I want to start off and I want to read you a story, okay, about a man named John Newton. Newton was born in 1725 in London to a Puritan mother who died two weeks before his seventh birthday and a stern sea captain father who took him to sea at age 11. After many voyages and a reckless youth of drinking, Newton was impressed into the British Navy. After attempting to desert, he received eight dozen lashes and was reduced to the rank of a common seaman, cursed to working on slave trade ships, a profession he would serve many years. During one voyage home, Newton's ship was caught in a horrendous storm off the coast of Ireland and almost sank. And at that moment, Newton prayed to God, And the cargo, the boxes, everything that was on the ship miraculously shifted to fill a hole into the hull, causing the leaks to stop. And eventually the boat, the ship, drifted safely onto shore. Newton took this as a sign from the Almighty and marked it as his conversion to Christianity. But even after he returned, Newton continued to sell his fellow human beings, making three voyages as a captain of two different slave vessels. In 1754, he suffered a stroke and retired, but continued to invest in the business. In 1764, he was ordained as an Anglican priest and wrote 280 hymns to accompany his services. He wrote the words for the song that we are going to talk about today. Don't, don't change it yet. In 1772. But it was not until 1788, 34 years after, that he renounced his formal slaving profession by publishing a blazing pamphlet called Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade. The track described the horrific conditions on slave ships And Newton apologized by making a public statement so many years after. It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. The pamphlet was so popular that it reprinted several times and sent to every member of parliament, 
And under the leadership of William Wilberforce, the English civil government outlawed slavery in Great Britain in 1807, and Newton lived to see him, dying the December of the next year. John Newton. Here we have a, a powerful story of someone living in a profession, struggling to reconcile his Christian faith and the prophet to worldly decisions. Does that sound familiar? Trying to reconcile his Christian faith and his Christian beliefs with making money, with putting things of the world in front of his, his relationship with Jesus. That's something we struggle with every single day. But through this struggle, this one man wrote down his testimony for me and you to hear, to be shared with as one of the, if not the most powerful song in the history of music. And this testimony gives us a glimpse of salvation from conviction all the way to eternal life. A life forever spent with our Savior. No wonder this hymn tops the list of how sweet the sound, the greatest hymns of the faith. Does anybody know what that hymn is? This is number one. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad we got that one. Amazing Grace. PJ made you all wait till the end. I wasn't going to do that to you. And there is one word that I hear used often, and rightly so, and that is grace. Grace is one of the most important aspects of our relationship with Jesus. But what is grace? Do you truly know what grace is? One of the most apt definitions I've heard consists of a simple two words. You saw it a little bit before called unmerited favor, meaning undeserved kindness. It's in Ephesians 2.8 where we find this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is nothing from yourselves. It is the gift of God. There is nothing that we have done to deserve this favor. It is God's gift to us. There is nothing that we could do to deserve God's favor. It is his gift to us. Just a few moments ago, we sang the song, You Love Me Anyways. And the bridge is the ultimate picture of grace. God's undeserved kindness towards us. Listen to these words one more time. This is the bridge. I am the thorn in your crown. But you love me anyway. I am the sweat from your brow. But you love me anyways. I am the nail in your wrist. But you love me anyways. I am Judas's kiss, but you love me anyways. I am the man who yelled out from the crowd for your blood to be spilt on this earth-shaking ground. Then I turned away with a smile on my face, with this sin in my heart. I tried to bury your grace. But alone in the night, I still call out for you. So ashamed of my life. But you love me anyways. You know, we do place a lot of emphasis on grace, and rightly so. But I've noticed that it is very easy for us to place so much 
emphasis on grace that we lose sight of why we were given it in the first place. As John 3.10 tells us, there is no one righteous. No, not one. And it's here that we find ourselves in the first two lines of the song where our author, John Newton, shows the true understanding of grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton understood as he was breathing what could have been the last few breaths he had on this earth in the whole of that slave ship, that God offers us grace because we are an imperfect people in need of a perfect Savior. A wretch is a despicable, despisable, and vile person, for that is what we are. John Newton was experiencing conviction when the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we realize our sins against each other and against God. And right when we get to this point of guilt, John Newton, through this powerful message, leads us to the next step, and that is repentance, which is evidenced by transformation. Repentance is asking forgiveness for our sin and asking the Lord into our hearts, which is marked by a transformation in our lives. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And this, this is still the first verse. We've gone through so much. We've got six more verses to go. And I'll tell you what, I hope you all are awake now because I'll tell you what, the amazing grace of Jesus Christ does not sleep on any one of you. I'll tell you that right now. But I cannot help but be reminded of the story of the prodigal son. VBS, we, we went over this story in VBS. Where the son takes his inheritance early, goes and spends all the money on worldly things, and then ends up with nothing. So much so that he thinks that pig's food looks good. You have to be in a pretty low and dark place to eat the same food as pigs, much less to think that that food looks appetizing. This prodigal son feels the conviction of the wrong he had done, how he had betrayed his father. But he comes home begging forgiveness from his father, repenting. And the father, eager for his son to come home, meets him with open arms and throws a feast because his son has returned. He is celebrating just like Jesus when we come home to him. John Newton's next verse continues. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. These are familiar lyrics to all of us. Amazing grace is a beloved hymn. But it's not, pop, it's not powerful because it's popular. It's popular because it's powerful. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. He wrapped all of the repentance and the transformation as being caused by his belief in Jesus. Do you ever remember a sigh of relief when you had done something wrong and you asked forgiveness for somebody and they said, I forgive you? 
you're holding this this guilt and this weight on you this this whole time, walking around life. And then you go to somebody who you have wronged and you say, please forgive me. I have sinned against you. I have done wrong. And the sigh of relief when they say, I forgive you. Have you ever experienced the gumption that you felt when you transformed soul? When you felt on fire for the Lord? All of that is because you believe. You cannot have one without the other. How can you ask forgiveness for sinning against a God that you don't believe in? Listen to these lyrics again and consider these words. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It's such a peaceful feeling. Grace my fears relieved. But as this powerful hymn continues, we see that the life of a Christian doesn't always give you that peaceful, easy You will face trials. You will face temptations. But you will never, ever, 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 ever be alone. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. James tells us to consider these dangers and toils and snares pure joy. Why? Why would I want to be in a snare for pure joy? Do you know what a snare is? It is, it is not a drum. It is a trap for catching animals. Why would I want to be in a snare? It is a trap. Who wants to be in a trap? Who wants to be ambushed? Nevertheless, James 1, 2-4 says this, Consider your pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James tells us this because it brings about perseverance in the hopes of purifying our faith. Instead of viewing our trials and temptations as something that are a struggle and something that will cause us to fail, welcome these challenges as a chance to prove your faith to God, to yourself, and to others. To not just talk the talk, but to actually walk the walk of your faith. What have you got to lose? Because the Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. As long as life endures. In this powerful hymn, we have seen conviction, repentance, transformation, belief, and perseverance. And we have one part left. The eternal reward for living a life devoted to Jesus believing in his resurrection and asking forgiveness of your sins, and that is eternal life with him. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. Listen to this last verse. This is the 
original last verse written by John Newton himself. The when we've been there 10,000 years, that was written a little bit later. This is the original last verse. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. But God who has called me here below will be forever mine. For all time. That is our ultimate goal. To spend forever with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amazing grace is a simple testimony of a sinful man. Just like me or you. A simple testimony that shares the life of a Christian. The story of what salvation is. Before now, have you ever really paid attention to the words of the popular hymn? That's how this hymn went from popular to powerful. People liked it. But the reason, like I said before, the reason it became popular was because it's powerful. It showed an honest portrayal of what it's like to believe in Jesus. But what do we do with this? We have a story of salvation. How does this song change our lives? What is the power? And how do we continue throughout our lives? Yay, we heard Amazing Grace. We've heard that song thousands of times. What do we do with that? And it's simple. It's found in the Word of God. Before I read this, I wondered about the best way to close this. And I figured that sometimes, sometimes, if not all the time. The best thing to do is let the ultimate authority, the Word of God, speak for itself. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you all that you have done for us. We're sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. This undeserved kindness, this unmerited favor, this grace. Thank you. Thank you for the individuals, the ordinary people who do extraordinary things with your help. This song, Amazing Grace, has influenced and touched so, so many lives. And it's a testimony. And Lord, I pray that each of us, we reflect on our own testimony and how we can share that with others, how we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your blessings, your undeserved blessings. Thank you for the chance to live eternally with you. In our precious, in your precious son's name, Jesus Christ, amen.
thank you all, and I want to thank Jared for such a powerful, powerful message this morning. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where chains have bound me up. Chains are meant to restrict and to hold back. There also, as he so powerfully brought out, they're a snare. They're a trap. Now, you and I aren't in chains today. We're not in any uh, danger of being held in chains. But there are spiritual chains that each one of us can get in the trap of. What's yours? What's holding you back? I know for me, I can't sing at all. Some of you have wondered why I sit over there and sign sometimes. You may not understand why. It's not to draw attention to me. It's the only way I have to sing because I can't sing a lick. I cannot carry a tune. But God released me from the chains that held me back from worshiping him. And so he gave me a way to sing my praise to him. What's holding you back? What spiritual trap and snare is holding you back from giving God everything that you have? Today, as I sign this song, think about it. And as you come for communion, think about giving that trap, giving yourself out of that trap. Lay it at the feet of the altar of God so that you can be all that he's called you to be for him. In Jesus' name. John Wesley understood this time of our service, communion, as a means of grace, as a way of experiencing God's unconditional, unmerited grace. When I first became United Methodist, I wondered about that because it didn't make sense to me. It's, it's bread, it's, it's cup, it's, it's juice. How does that take me to a place of experiencing God's grace, that amazing grace. But think back with me for a few moments. Jesus' life was almost at an end. He knew that he was getting ready to be betrayed, but yet he loved them anyway. As he gathered with his friends to celebrate the meal called the Seder meal, the Passover meal, that meal that, that showed people how God provided for the people of Israel throughout history. That's why they came together, was to celebrate how God had constantly loved them so much that he provided a way out. The Bible says that as they gathered, they were fighting with each other. And instead of getting all mad, Jesus showed them what true love was when he took off his outer garments and he washed their feet. And he said, if you want to be a leader, you need to be a servant. You need to show love. You need to show grace. And then he sat with them. And the meal began. 
throughout the meal, there came a point in time when Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. Blessed are you, O God of the universe, who brings forth the grains of the field. He broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which will be given for you. I think in a way what Jesus was saying is take, eat. This is how much I love you. This is my grace. Because we understand that grace and love are really synonymous. This is my grace, my love for you, that I'm willing to lay down my life so that you might have life. After supper was over, Jesus took the cup. And he gave thanks. Blessed are you, O God of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. And then he shared it with all of his friends around the table and all those who were gathered. And he said, drink. This is my blood, which will be shed for you, because I love you. Take and drink. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And for thousands of years now, people have gathered at this table to experience God's amazing grace, God's amazing love, God's gift of salvation. Greater love is this, that one would lay down their lives for their brother or their sister, And indeed, that's what Jesus did. Amazing grace. This is how much God loves. This is how we as Wesleyans understand how much God loves. This table is open to all. You don't have to be United Methodist. You don't have to be in any certain place in your journey. You just need to come and experience God's love unconditionally for you. And John Wesley says, as as you receive it, you will feel God's love. You will experience God's love. You will live in the midst of God's love. We give you thanks, O God, for this amazing gift of love that you have given us. Pour out your Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and juice. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, O God, make us one with you, one with each other, and one with all of the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his table. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God. Now and forever. Amen. I'd ask those who are going to be serving if you would come.
the table of the Lord is open. Come, feast, and experience God's love. But God who called me 
your love. Send us that love continuously as we remember, as we experience you on our journey. Thank you for this gift of love through bread and cup. Now use us to be an example of your love and your grace. Amen. Said as his memory was fading, I am a great sinner, but Jesus Christ is a great Savior. We've heard his testimony, amazing grace. Now, what is your testimony? What is your testimony? What are you sharing to the world about Jesus through your words or through what you do? Consider that as you go through this week. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.